Well, everybody's got to uh, start uh, sometime. Everybody's got to start someplace. I uh, remember my uh, first sermon as if it was yesterday. I also want to let you know that it was not just yesterday. It was a long, long time ago. I preached it before my home church at uh, Butchel United Methodist over on Hikes Lane. The title of that sermon uh, was uh, Gullible Old Buzz. Uh, it was uh, uh, basically an introduction to that sermon. Uh, I was kind of spoofing something that my friend Buzzy Crenshaw had done, and then I went on from there. Uh, basically, uh, I remember also uh, preaching on Romans, the seventh chapter, you know, where it says the very thing I know not to do, I do, the very thing I know to do, I don't do, and uh, who's going to save me from that predicament? Thank God it has been done through Jesus Christ our Lord. Everyone was very kind that day. In fact, they were very affirming, and that was uh, not just with this sermon, but, but with, uh, with all other opportunities for ministry the church really came around and helped to affirm and helped uh, really to kind of shape my call as God was leaning into my life. Well, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, uh, verses 14 and following, uh, Jesus preaches his uh, first sermon as well. You know, it was kind of a, a coming out, if you will. There were other things that were were going on for, for Jesus where he was beginning to emerge into his uh, public ministry, uh, certainly the time of temptation, the time of baptism, uh, then, uh, then, then this time in Nazareth where, where Jesus uh, preaches this, this first sermon, if you will. Jesus was no stranger to the synagogue. Uh, certainly he was in and around the synagogue as he, he grew up. We can, can infer that without any hesitation at all. But this time, it came for, for him or to him to uh, basically read from the Scripture and then to interpret it. That's what, what rabbis did. As was the custom in the, the synagogue, the scroll was presented to the one who read it. And, and if you've ever seen those scrolls at a Jewish synagogue, they're beautifully ornate. They're, there's a lot of ceremony that goes on in, in, in taking off very medallions and, and coverings, and then they're unrolled very, very carefully, meticulously. All of that only adds to the drama of, uh, of, of opening God's Word and reading it before God's people. Well, the Scripture that day, uh, as Jesus begins to to share uh, this scripture and, and to, to offer this first sermon, if you will, was from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And we read that this morning as a part of our, our signed sermon series. We wrap that up today, all along through Advent, leading up to Christmas Eve, and then, uh, and then today we've been reading from the prophet Isaiah as Isaiah points us to the hope and promise of the one who is to come. And so let us hear this reading from God's Word, and we'll be reading again from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Hear this from God's Word. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all of those who mourn. And so this is the reading of God's word. And may it be a deep and abiding blessing to each of us, not only as we hear this word read, but as we uh, make effort now to take our lives and apply them to this word. Well, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, talks about the Messiah who is to come. There's no doubt about that. The, the passage starts out by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And certainly that fits Jesus to a T. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him at his baptism. The, the Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, representing the very power of the Spirit coming down and resting on Christ. In the wilderness, where Jesus was tempted, Jesus was able to persevere in no small measure because of the Holy Spirit. So it's no coincidence that, that Jesus, who is now reading from this great passage from Isaiah 61, this centuries-old prophecy that anticipated uh, the one upon whom the Spirit would dwell, that Jesus would, would read that passage and would know without a shadow of a doubt that the Spirit of God was upon him. So that scripture uh, spoke clearly of a, of a special anointing. It, it speaks of that. There is a special anointing upon the one who is to come, this one who is to preach good news. Just a couple of days ago, we, we read um, from the, the birth narrative from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. We heard the, the angel proclaim, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And the news of that good news of great joy is that uh, the, the Christ had now come, that Jesus was now, uh, now upon us. He was born in the stable, and we celebrated that all through Advent, certainly on Christmas Eve. We, uh, we find ourselves uh, uh, yet affirmed of the grand good news that is Christ having come into the life of the world. So this prophecy is being fulfilled. The one who was good news now began to preach it. Hear that. The one who is the very epitome of good news was now beginning to preach it. He preached a revolutionary word. His was a word that would be tough for some to hear, but yet for others would, would draw them in and bring them to the place where, where they would be in relationship with God unlike they had ever been in their entire life. The one who is good news began to preach it. And as Jesus finished reading, he then reverently began to roll the, the, the scroll back up, and, uh, and he gave it to the attendant, and he sat down. He sat down. That's what, uh, what rabbis did when they taught. They would stand to read, but they would sit down to teach. And so Jesus, being the good rabbi that he was, began to interpret just what he had read. And the eyes of everyone, the eyes and ears of everyone in attendance were, were very much upon him. And in Jesus' uh, 
did something that, that really awed the crowd. For some, they questioned it, and then for others, they, they found themselves amazed, uh, enthused, and, and certainly inspired. Jesus stirred that hometown crowd, if not shocked them that day. He, um, he basically rolled that scripture up, he sat down, and he had these words to share. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, as we uh, read from Isaiah these past few weeks and, and have considered the many signs that uh, Isaiah uh, points us to, to consider, as we have considered all the signs that have been around us, we, uh, we know that, uh, that the one has come in Jesus and as he uh, reads and pronounces, well, these words are now, uh, now uh, fulfilled in your hearing, they, uh, they began to get the idea that indeed Jesus was the one who had come. The very one who had been promised of old, the very one uh, in, in whom would be all sorts of signs, all sorts of wonders that would point to him being Christ our Lord. And so Jesus claims for himself what Isaiah had prophesied years and years ago. And so of those things that uh, Jesus would be about as our Savior and our Lord is that he would, uh, would proclaim good news to the poor and binding up those who are brokenhearted. Ashley has something to say about that. Yeah, so just a few nights ago on Christmas Eve, we heard the great song, O Holy Night. And whether we were just hearing it or singing it, we shared upon those words of a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And I just think those words hang a little more true than they have in the past. The world is weary. We are tired. We're struggling, all living in a reality that we are in great need of the hope in the joy that the Messiah brings. And today, the Sunday after Christmas, we have that truth to energize us, to stabilize us, and to motivate us. Isaiah says the one will bring good news to the poor and the oppressed. And then Jesus read these words from Isaiah's scroll in the synagogue, knowing that he was the good news and proclaiming that. And while, yes, he did fulfill that prophecy for the poor and the oppressed, I want us all to understand that at some point, Along the way in our lives, we will all be poor and oppressed, whether in spirit or in body, in mind or economically. We will all need this great good news. The good news that's for you and you and you and you, those of you who are watching, those who may just listen to this. But if you're wondering, is this light that Jesus brought with him light for my darkness? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. When we are weary, we can rejoice because there is good news in the midst of our hurt. The good news that came to bind up the brokenhearted. And there are lots of different words for that word bind up. It can mean wrap up or saddle up, comfort or bandage, to bandage the broken heart. Are you lonely? Are you hurting? 
Are you addicted? Do you find yourself escaping? Are you struggling to deal with reality or pain or depression, anxiety, frustration, or anger? Jesus says, I have come to heal you. I have come to wrap you up, to support you, to comfort you in strength, in love, and in peace. He doesn't give us an easy button, though. He doesn't promise us that he's miraculously going to take everything from us, these struggles. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But what he always does is walks with us through it, giving us the strength, allowing us to walk through, to get through, even if sometimes slowly but surely. And because we have that promise, because that is our truth, we are called to share that truth with others. It isn't ours to keep. It isn't ours just to experience and just hold close. It's ours to talk about, to live out, to radiate, to reflect that great light that Jesus brought. The good news is for all of us. And the good news provides a place for us to bind up in the truth that we are God's and God's is ours. And everything that God has to offer is ours as well. And through that, we have joy, joy in the midst of our weariness. And we have to share that good news with the world, with whoever is listening, anytime and all the time. There's more good news as we uh, read through this uh, passage from Isaiah 61. The very passage that uh, Jesus uh, read and then interpreted in the hearing of those who were his hometown crowd. The context for uh, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 is the, the great hope that one day soon the people who were exiled in, in Babylon would return to their homeland. For years, uh, the, the southern kingdom of Judah was, uh, was held captive uh, in a faraway land, a faraway land of, of Babylon. They had been unceremoniously ripped from their, their homeland and sent to make a life for themselves uh, uh, in, in Babylon. And, and they struggled with that. Uh, they, they struggled on, on many fronts, the, the, most, uh, the most significant of which uh, had to do with how would they be able to worship God in a foreign land. They, they had thought that the very presence of God uh, resided in the Holy of Holies there in the temple, in downtown Jerusalem, if you will. And uh, they, uh, they now were away from Jerusalem, and uh, they wondered, well, where is God in the mix of all of this? And as they lived into that moment, and as they began to hear uh, the, the prophets, particularly Isaiah, offering this word of, of hope, of return, they, they began to, to sense that God was indeed with them, and that he would help them to gain consolation, and that in the end they would gain redemption. So not only did their nation fall, but their temple was destroyed, and they had to, had to rethink, rethink things uh, in, entirely. But the message that the prophet brought was a, was a message of hope. Soon they would no longer be imprisoned, if you will, no longer in, in exile, but they would be returning home. The notion of uh, freedom uh, for a, a prisoner uh, had to, to wash over them in a, in a refreshing way. 
It had to be like a, a, a beautiful spring rain or even a summer rain where it's been dry and dry again. And they, uh, they, they received that word of hope and they found themselves refreshed, if not inspired and emboldened. Uh, that, that prophecy offered hope where hope was very much needed. And just like Ashley said, in the times in which we, uh, we live, we are in need of hope. Uh, because hope is certainly needed these days. So for those in exile in Babylon, freedom was sweet release. It meant a, a brand new start, unlimited opportunity, and the hope of great things to come. God is of, always offering hope to our lives. And most pointedly, uh, in, in Jesus Christ our Lord. In a sense, and let's think about this, Every one of us are imprisoned, at least those who have not known the sweet redemption of the Lord. Burdened by the heavy weight of all the wrong of our lives and the guilt that comes along with that, we are apt to break under its weight unless we, we deal with things, unless we uh, come before our Lord, knowing what he has to offer us in the forgiveness of our sin so that we may once and for all be released from the very things that imprison us. I love that, uh, that old song, He Touched Me. Hear, the, hear this from, from that, uh, that song, Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame. And how many of us are carrying that, huh? Then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that, that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me and made me whole. So that's a sort of hope that is offered us in Christ. We may not be literally imprisoned, but we might as well be, if we allow the, the very sin and wrong of our lives to have sway and for the guilt to clearly inform who we are that is, that is a part of our lives, that we would, uh, would, would allow those things to have sway rather than to have the powerful movement of Christ in our lives to release us from all of that. You know, we use the word redeemed all the time around the church. And we do so, and we really don't know what we're talking about. You know, redemption has to do with freedom of being released. You know, the, the image of redemption is of a slave being freed. Being freed because a price has been paid for that freedom. And so you look at redemption in that way, and you begin to think of Jesus and what he's done, and in particular what Jesus did on the cross, we know full well that because of the price paid, then we are then released from the very things that have a hold on us, notwithstanding the sin and wrong of our lives, notwithstanding the guilt that seems to always be with us. We are a people who are redeemed. No wonder that day when Jesus stood in the synagogue there in Nazareth as he read from Isaiah 61 
And as he began to talk about freedom for the, the, the captive, uh, not only did he have in mind the, the freedom that God wrought so many centuries previous to that, that hour where the nation of Judah did return to Jerusalem, but, but he really had in mind that, yeah, redemption is coming. Freedom for the prisoner is on its way. And so we who offer our lives to Christ, who respond to the grace of God through Jesus by faith, we are redeemed, freed from all that has a hold on us, and we live into new life. And as Isaiah goes on, he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. Let's hear a bit more about that. I've been seeing a... a a little meme or social media post uh, that says, uh, nobody claimed 2021 as your year. Everyone's going to walk in real slow, be good, be quiet, and don't touch anything. It's sort of a conversation I would have with my three-year-old if we were going into a, a museum. Like, I don't want to be walking out of here or having to pay for something. Uh, a dear friend of mine, I've had a group text with some women who has been a, a real source of strength and, and empowerment for me this year. One of the ladies in the group shared that she was reflecting on 2020, and one of the things that she realized was she, she was thankful for it, and she was thankful for it because she had grown closer to God. She had made a hard choice every day to really just dig in and be with God, and in the midst of that, as she was you know, being grateful and praying with God, he kind of shared with her, God wastes nothing. I've wasted nothing. And it's sort of a rephrase of the verse from 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which says this, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We are called to proclaim this good news, this, this news of redemption and freedom, and you know, freedom from that oppression and all of that, even in a year like 2020 when that good news is still very much worth sharing and is still very much true uh, and so needed, we will find favor in God's eyes when we are in his will, continually surrendering ourselves to his ways. Friends, as Tom mentioned earlier, Jesus did come to make things new. He does. He makes things new, but he doesn't do it in a way of he just whaps everything out, he takes out the trash, throws it out, cleans out the closet, whatever. He does it by digging in with us, digging in to where we are, looking at where we've been so we can reflect on how we got to where we are today. And when we do that, we find that Jesus was right there in the midst of it with us. What is Jesus saying to us about our stuff? How is he leading us to be in his will right now in this moment? How do we bring him glory at this time? We have to continue to check in with him, to spend time with him, to be present to his great light so that we can head in the right direction. We're not going to know where we are. We're not going to know how we're going to go forward if we don't look at the past to see of how we got there to begin with. We've got to be sure that we are aligned in God's will. That way we are more assured that when we look past that sometimes where we may not have been in his will, that he was still there with us, still urging us back, reminding us that he was there, giving us little reminders here and there that we may have missed along the way, 
but we'll find that he was there more and we may have been in his will more than we had originally thought. And we'll be more assured of my favorite thing, that God's got this. We are all looking forward to 2021, a, a fresh start, a new year, a year that will be better than this past year has. But let's not jump into it with first reflecting on the past year, on the struggles, the hurt, the stress, the frustration, but also the wins, the revelations, the discovery, the successes. I bet when we look back on things, we'll find that God was in the midst of our lives, intertwining with so many things. And we'll discover he was there all along, and perhaps we will also find that we may have been more aligned with him than not. And even if we weren't, we'll know that he was with us anyway, and he will continue to be with us, helping us to be better. God wastes nothing. And so when Isaiah talks about the year of the Lord's favor, uh, he does point uh, to that sweet release of the captives in Babylon. But he takes a longer view. The day when uh, God would act in sending uh, the anointed one into the life of the world. And so Jesus, as he, uh, as he sits and interprets this scripture from Isaiah 61, resolutely says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Hey, the year of the Lord's favor is upon you. The very present reality of Christ in this world. And so we, uh, we move from uh, one year to the other. And, it, and, and every year it gives us pause to reflect on things past and on things to come. And we, we begin to consider things that we might do differently. We make all sorts of resolutions that we're, we're, we're sort of um, short in keeping over the long haul. We, uh, we are going to be talking about such things as we move into the new year, talking about old habits and, and new habits as we uh, seek to, to be more aligned to God's will. I want to leave you with this uh, today as we consider the year of the Lord's favor, that rather than, uh, hey, what am I going to do? You know, what, what sort of things am I going to be doing? Maybe the better thing for us to do is, is, is what does the Lord want to do through me? And how might that then become truly the year of the Lord's favor? It's not enough just to, to move into a new year. It comes to us to wholly dedicate ourselves to the one who in his love is fast at work to make all things new. God has acted wonderfully, powerfully, and profoundly in sending his son, Jesus. And because of that great gift, that great gift of good news, it is indeed the year of the Lord's favor. And God, through Christ, stands to receive us. And in receiving us, our lives will be made new. What better way to end one year and to begin another by wholly dedicating ourselves to the one who is the very fulfillment of God's purposes all along. The signs pointed his way. And as he came, those signs came to fruition. And they continue to come to fruition as he works in us and through us 
to make for new life. Praise be to God above. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the great gift of good news that is Jesus. We thank you for, for the prophet Isaiah, through whom you worked and, 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 and brought this wonderful message, all of these uh, wonderful words that we have rehearsed over this grand season of Advent and Christmas. Lord, above all things, we are thankful that uh, you saw fit to bring to fulfillment your purposes all along. We are so thankful that you acted in the ways that you did in, in sending Jesus. We are thankful that you continue to act even now as Christ is in our midst and as you call upon us to respond through faith. Lord, we pray that as we consider the year of your favor, as we consider the fulfillment of your uh, centuries-old prophecies in Jesus Christ, may we anew open our hearts and receive him. And in receiving him, may we uh, find our hearts filled to the overflowing. So God, we do look forward to the days ahead only because of your presence through Christ our Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit. This prayer we make in Christ's name. Amen.